Do you believe that one man can make a difference? Do you believe that one godly man can change the fate of the world? Can change the fate of a nation? Can change the fate of a family? I want you to open up your copy of God's Word with me this morning to the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel 22. Now, if you don't know where Ezekiel is, turn to the middle of your Bible. You'll probably land on Psalms. If you're not there, find Psalms and then take a right. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations. And then you're there. You're there at Ezekiel, Ezekiel 22. Ezekiel is considered one of the major prophets, one of the major prophetic books in the Bible. Now, let me just give you a little bit of background, if I can. Ezekiel ministered during the darkest days of Judah's history. Militarily, the nation had all but been defeated. Monetarily, most of the nation's treasures had been plundered and looted. Morally, the nation was involved in all kinds of perverse practices. Politically, the leaders were taking advantage of the people. And spiritually... The people had turned from the one true God. It was at this time that Nebuchadnezzar, the the king of Babylon, invaded the land. He removed the treasures from the temple and from the royal palace. He carried into exile over 10,000 of the finest people that Israel had to offer. The officers, the fighting men, the craftsmen, the artists, all of these who had power, all of those who had influence were taken away among those who were taken away into captivity in Babylon was a man named Ezekiel. Ezekiel was from a priestly family. And it was while he was in Babylon that he received his call from God to be a prophet. He was 30 years of age when he received this call and and he remembered it vividly. It was very distinctly um, imprinted on his mind. He was at the Kebar River in Babylon with the captives when God called him to be a prophet to the people. And he began to tell them, he began to remind them who they were as the people of God. And he began to explain to them why they were experiencing the judgment of God. And he began to call them into repentance. It's a word that that describes the sins of the people and, and the judgment of God. And at least, as we look at Ezekiel 22, there is the potential of hope. And, and let me remind you of what I just said. There is the potential of hope. There is the possibility of hope. Now, I'm going to do something this morning that I don't normally do. I want us to read this entire chapter, all 31 verses. I want you to follow along with me, beginning in verse 1, listen to what it says. The word of the Lord came to me three times in this chapter. Ezekiel uses that phrase, the word of the Lord came to me. So you need to understand that Ezekiel isn't just offering his opinion of what is taking place among the nation of Judah. God is speaking to Ezekiel directly and giving him a word. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, will you judge her, the nation of Israel, the nation of Judah? Understand, we as the people of God are not called to judge the world, but we are called to judge ourselves. Son of man, will you judge her? Will you judge this city of bloodshed 
Then confront her with all her detestable practices and say, This is what the sovereign Lord says. O city that brings on herself doom by shedding blood in her midst and defiles herself by making idols, you have become guilty because of the blood you have shed and have become defiled by the idols you have made. You have brought your days to a close and the end of your years has come. Therefore, I will make you an object of scorn to the nations and a laughingstock to all the countries. Those who were near and those who are far away will mock you, O infamous city, full of turmoil. See how each of the princes of Israel who are in you uses his power to shed blood. In you, they have treated father and mother with contempt. In you, they have oppressed the alien and mistreated the fatherless and the widow. You have despised my holy things, and desecrated my Sabbaths. In you are slanderous men bent on shedding blood. In you are those who eat at the mountain shrines and commit lewd acts. In you are those who dishonor their father's bed. In you are those who violate women during their period when they are ceremonially unclean. In you, one man commits a detestable offense with his neighbor's wife. Another shamefully defiles his daughter-in-law and another violates his sister, his own father's daughter. In you, men accept bribes to shed blood. You take usury and, and excessive interest and make unjust gain from your neighbors by extortion. And you have forgotten me, declares the sovereign Lord. I will surely strike my hands together at the unjust gains you have made and at the blood you have shed in your midst. Will your courage endure? Your hands be strong in the day I deal with you? I, the Lord, have spoken and I will do it. I will disperse you among the nations and scatter you through the countries, and I will put an end to your uncleanness. When you have been defiled in the eyes of the nations, you will know that I am the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, the house of Israel has become dross to me. All of them are the copper, tin, iron, and lead left inside the furnace. They are but the dross of silver. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Because you have become dross, I will gather you into Jerusalem as men gather silver, copper, iron, lead, and tin into a furnace to melt it with a fiery blast. So I will gather you in my anger and my wrath and put you inside the city and melt you. I will gather you and I will blow on you with my fiery wrath and you will be melted inside of her. As silver is melted in a furnace, so you will be melted inside her. And you will know... That I, the Lord, have poured out my wrath upon you. Again, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, say to the land, you are a land that has no rain or showers in the day of my wrath. There is a conspiracy of her princes within her like a roaring lion tearing its prey. They devour people like they take treasures and precious things and make many widows within her. Her priest... Do violence to my law and profane my holy things. They do not distinguish between the holy and the common. They teach that there is no difference between the unclean and the clean. And they shut their eyes to the keeping of my Sabbath so that I am profaned among them. Her officials within her like wolves tearing their prey. They shed blood and kill people to make unjust gain. Her prophets whitewash these deeds for them by false visions and lying divinations. They say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. When the Lord has not spoken, the people of the land practice extortion and commit robbery. They oppress the poor and needy and mistreat the alien, denying them justice. I looked 
for a man among them who would build at the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. But I found none. So I will pour out my wrath on them and consume them with my fiery anger, bringing down on their own heads all they have done, declares the sovereign Lord. Would you pray with me? Sovereign God, when I read about Judah, it seems that it is a picture of of where we are today. God, we deserve your fiery anger. We deserve your holy wrath. We have rejected your holy ways and replaced them with our own sinful ways. We have rejected your love, choosing rather to love the things of this world. Forgive us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Are you disturbed by the condition of our land, our nation, our society? Does it trouble you to think about raising a child in our society today? When you look out over the landscape of our nation, of our society, are you wondering not if, but when God is going to bring his judgment down upon us? You see, I, for one, am convinced that if things do not change in America, we are headed straight in to the judgment of God. And I am also convinced that the only hope that America has is the righteous men that are found in this church and Bible-teaching churches all across America. Let me say that again. If America is not going to experience the judgment of God, the only thing that is going to hold off the judgment of God are the godly, righteous men who were here this morning in this place and in places like this all across America. Men, I am convinced that if America is ever going to get any better, If America is ever going to truly experience the hand of God, then you and I must be willing to step up and we must be willing to stand in the gap because God is looking for a man who will stand up and build the wall and stand in the gap between the world and himself. And my question to you this morning is this. Are you willing... To be that man. Now as we look at this passage, Ezekiel 22, there are three things that I believe parallel our day today. The things that we see in Judah in the last days before God destroyed that nation, we see in our nation today. The first thing that I see is this. Sin had infected every area of society. As we look at the nation of Judah, we see that sin was rampant. It had moved into the place where every area of society, every person in society seemed to be infected by sin. 
Second Chronicles 36 is, is a chapter that, that chronicles the history of what is going on during this period in Ezekiel 22. Zedekiah was the king and we are told that he did evil in the eyes of the Lord and he refused to humble himself before God. Later in that same chapter, we are told that the people, the people became more and more unfaithful. They began to follow the detestable practices of the surrounding nations. And all the time, all the time we are told that God was looking for a man who would build up the wall, who would stand in the gap, but he found none. When we look at Ezekiel 22, verse 3 tells us that that murder was rampant and that idolatry was everywhere. Verse 7 tells us that that there was no respect for parents in the land. Verse 11 tells us that there was all kinds of sexual immorality and perversion. Every type of sin imaginable could be found among the people of Judah. And all during this time, God was looking for a man who would build up the wall, who would stand in the gap. And yet he says that he found none. And the people were filled with greed. They were taking advantage of one another for personal gain. Verse 27 in one translation says, they destroyed people's lives for profit. And all the while... God was looking for a man who would build up the wall, who would stand in the gap, but he found none. But as I look at the nation Judah, and then I look at our own nation, I have to ask ourselves, are we any better off? Sexual sin is rampant. More and more couples today are living together outside of marriage. Casual sex has become more and more common. Pornography is rampant and homosexuality is now celebrated. Violent crimes and murders have moved from, from the hood now to the burbs. To the point that it's not only the inner cities that struggle with these things. It's, it's everywhere all across America. And what about greed? Our so-called American dream has caused us to live self-absorbed lives focusing on our comforts while we neglect those who are hurting all around us. And I want you to know that God is still looking for a man who will build up the wall, who will stand in the gap. And the question for us today is, will he find one? And notice... That the sins of Judah had permeated every area of society. We find out in Ezekiel 22 that the princes had abused their power. Verse 6 says, see how each of the princes of Israel who are in you uses his power. Now the princes were the civil leaders that God had ordained to, to rule society. Their responsibility was to protect the people and provide them with moral leadership. Throughout the Old Testament, we are told that God holds the leaders responsible for the moral decay of the nation. As the leaders go, so goes the nation. That's why Solomon said righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Now, the modern equivalent of princes would be our elected officials, from the White House to the State House to to City Hall. But unfortunately, those we elect don't always lead with a moral compass. 
It seems like just in the Old Testament, the indictment on some of them would be they did evil in the sight of the Lord and they refused to humble themselves. And what is God doing? God is looking for a man who will build up the wall and stand in the gap in Washington, in in Columbia, in Lexington. He is looking for that man. The princes abuse their power. The priest, the priest had profaned the law of God. Now, the responsibility of the priest was to preserve the true meaning of the law of God. And so the question is, had they done this? Look at verse 26. In verse 26, it says, Her priests do violence to my law and profane my holy things. It goes on and it says, They have made the uncommon, the holy, common. Now, the priests today in the church would be the theological teachers, those who teach the Word of God to those who will be leading churches. Because those who teach theological truth will have their teachings filter down into the church leaders and and ultimately to the people in the church. And so the question is, are our priests, are, are those theological teachers today, are they holding secure the Word of God? Back when I was in seminary in in 1984, I was sitting in a class. And and that seems like a long time ago now, but I was sitting in a class. And and the professor of that class, one of our priests, one of our theological leaders, stood up in that Southern Baptist seminary and he affirmed homosexuality as an acceptable lifestyle. And everyone in that class agreed with him. Except me. I stood alone against the professor, against the other students in saying that that homosexuality is sin. It's, It's wrong. The Bible is clear on this. You see, back in the 60s and the 70s and the early 80s, our our seminaries were were leaning toward liberalism. We were we were holding fast to to philosophy rather than the Word of God. And there was a battle then for the Bible, the authority of the Bible, the authenticity of the Bible. And praise God, Southern Baptists won that battle. But understand, we we can never give that up. And Southern Baptists are not the only ones who train people theologically. And the fact of the matter is, in many schools of theology across America today, there are professors, there are leaders who are supposed to be teaching people how to rightly divide the Word of God. And instead of teaching them how to rightly divide the Word of God, they are denigrating the Word of God. And all this time, God is looking For a man who will build up the wall, who will stand in the gap for theological training, for the Word of God. And and the question is, is he going to find one? But not only were the princes at fault, not only were the priests at fault, the Bible says the prophets ignored their responsibility. Now, a prophet was one called of God not to foretell the future, but to foretell the Word of God. He was to speak out against the sins of the people and call them to renew commitment to the living God. But listen to what they were doing. Look at verse 28. 
It says her prophets whitewash these deeds for them by false visions. They say this is what the sovereign Lord says when the Lord has not spoken. Now, while a preacher, a pastor, has many responsibilities, I believe that a pastor's primary responsibility is to be a prophet of God. You see, a pastor is called to share with the people the Word of God, show them how to apply the Word of God, call them to repentance when they're not following the Word of God. And yet, too many pastors all across America today are refusing or are afraid to deal with sin. And what is God looking for? God is still looking for a man who will build up the wall, who will stand up in the gap, proclaim truth, whether it's popular or not. And the question is, is God going to find one in America? But not only do we see the the corruption of the princes and the priests and the prophets, it's little wonder that the people had turned to self rather than God. Verse 29 says, The people of the land practice extortion and commit robbery. They oppress the poor and needy and mistreat the alien, denying them justice. You see, at the very core... We are selfish people. That's why sin entered the world. And that's why sin has such a stranglehold on us today. And the only thing, the only thing that can change society is to change the hearts of men from being self-centered to God-centered. From being selfish to Christ-like. And how can that happen? Well, I can tell you. God is looking for a man who will build up the wall, who will stand in the gap. And the question is, will he find one? That brings me to my second truth in this passage. Not only do we see that sin had infected every part of society, we see that one righteous man can make a difference. Look at verse 30. In verse 30, God says... I looked for a man among them who would build up the wall, stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. But I found none. There are two things that God was looking for. God was looking for a man who would build up the wall. Now understand, the wall surrounding Jerusalem was still standing at this time. This is not talking about a literal wall around the city. Nehemiah came years after this and rebuilt the literal wall around the city of Jerusalem. This is not that wall. That wall was standing. You see, the wall that God was looking for a man to build was a wall of righteousness, the wall of holiness, a wall of godliness around the city. Because understand, righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is always a reproach. And if we want to hold off the judgment of God, the thing we need surrounding us is righteousness and holiness and godliness. So God was looking for a man who said, I will stand against everyone and I will build up this wall of righteousness and holiness and godliness. And then he was looking for someone who would stand in the gap. Now, what is a gap? A gap is that place where 
where the wall was torn down. It's where the enemy can come in and, and conquer the people. And God said, I'm looking for someone who will build this wall, but someone who will also stand in the gap, place themselves in the gap to ward off the enemy. At the same time, reaching up to heaven to be an intercessor for my people. And yet God said, I found none. I was looking for someone who would build up the wall of righteousness and holiness and godliness in my land. And I found none. I was looking for someone who would stand in the gap and intercede on behalf of the people to me. And yet I found none. You see, the implication is clear. One man, one man can be used by God to stop the flood of sin and the judgment of God and And we see this time after time in the Word of God. You see, God was looking for a man who would build up the wall, who would stand in the gap, and he found none. And today, I believe with all my heart, God is looking for a man or men who will build up the wall of righteousness and holiness and godliness and stand in the gap, reaching up to heaven, holding off the judgment of God. And the question is, will he find one? Now, when I think about a man who will build up the wall and stand in the gap, I I think about three characteristics. I, I think about courage. It takes a man of courage to stand in the gap. It always takes courage to stand against popular opinion, to stand against the crowd, to stand against sin. The prophets of old were were oftentimes put to death for taking a stand. For their willingness to, at times, stand in the gap. Now today, at least in America, you and I probably won't be put to death. But we could be ostracized. We could lose an opportunity. We we could lose a job because we're willing to stand in the gap. But here's what I know. If you're going to live for Jesus, when all around you people are rejecting him, it's going to take courage. It's going to take courage to stand up and stand out. If you want to stand in the gap, you've got to be a man of courage. It takes compassion to stand in the gap. Courage may lead us to stand in the gap for those who are closest to us, but it takes compassion to stand in the gap for people we don't even know, people who are hateful to us, who are mean toward us, who reject us. When when I think about this kind of compassion that we need, I think about Moses when, when God was ready to destroy the people of Israel, his chosen people, he was tired of them. And Moses stood up with compassion and he said, blot me out rather than destroying them. I think about Paul. When Paul said in Romans, I would be willing to go to hell. If my going to hell could save my people, the Jews. That's compassion. Compassion that moves us to action. Compassion that moves us to do something. Compassion that moves us to the forefront and says, we're going to get involved. It takes courage. It takes compassion. But it also takes a man of commitment to stand in the gap. 
You see, courage may motivate us and compassion may move us to action, but it takes commitment to continue to stand in the gap when everybody is against you. So how is your commitment? Are you willing to be a man of courage? Are you willing to be a man of compassion? Are you willing to be totally sold out, completely committed to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? You see, God is looking for a man who will build up the wall, who will stand in the gap. And the question we have to ask this morning is this, will we be that man? But there's one final truth we need to see. Without a righteous man, judgment will come. Look look at the last part of verse 30 and verse 31. But I found none. So I will pour out my wrath on them and consume them with my fiery anger, bringing down on their heads all that they have done. We're not exactly sure when, when Ezekiel received this prophetic word from God, but here's what we know. At the very most, six short years later, after Ezekiel was taken into captivity, Jerusalem was totally Destroyed. The temple was burned to the ground. All but the poorest people were taken into captivity. And the rest of the people were, were, um, uh, were there as slaves working the land for their foreign oppressors. And I want you to know that God's judgment is certain. Just as it was then, it is certain today. And in the midst of this, God is looking for a man. And my question is, Will you be that man? If not you, then who? If not now, then when? If not here, then where? God is looking for a man who will build up the wall, who will stand in the gap. Will you be that man if you don't? Judgment is sure. If it doesn't come upon us now, it will come upon us in eternity. It's up to you. It's up to me to stop the spread of sin and to hold back the judgment of God. My question, men, is are you willing to build up the wall? The wall of righteousness, the wall of godliness, the wall of holiness. Are you willing to stand in the gap, interceding for the world, for our nation, for your family, until God moves in and does something amazing? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to be that man who can hold back the judgment of God and change the course of history? You can be that man. I can be that man. The question is, are we willing to move out of our complacency, our comfort, and be that man? I want you to bow your head. And I want you to close your eyes. And for all you ladies this morning, 
I, I want you to know, and it's nothing against you, but I am focusing on the men in your life. Because I truly do believe that God has called us to be the leaders. And it's time for us to man up, to step up to the plate, and give our lives to the only cause that will last for all eternity. And that's the cause of Jesus Christ. And so, men, I'm asking you, Are you willing to stand up? Today, are you willing to make the commitment that you're going to build that wall of holiness and godliness and righteousness in your life, in your family, and seek to build it in our nation and our world by seeing the power of God's Holy Spirit transform lives? Are you willing to stand in the gap holding back the spread of evil through interceding to the heart of God for the people? Are you willing to be a man of courage, a man of compassion, a man of conviction? If you're here today and and you're willing to say, yes, I want to do that, I want my life to count. I want to make a difference. Here's what I want you to do right now. In your seat, out loud or silently, it doesn't matter. I want you to pray this prayer. Dear God, this morning, I make a commitment. I'm going to be that man. I'm going to build up the wall of righteousness, holiness, godliness in my life. I reject sin. Fill me with your righteousness. I will build it up in my family. Leading my family to love you and honor you. And I will seek to build it up in my nation. By taking a compassionate, courageous stand for what is right. Father, today I make the commitment to stand in the gap. Interceding for my church my family, my nation. Use me, I pray. Amen.